Thanks for joining us. You're listening to the Life Church Podcast. In these episodes, you will hear encouraging messages from our weekend services. If you'd like to know more about us, watch a live stream, or find the closest Eastern Iowa campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. Today, I want to talk a little bit about spiritual growth, and I want to challenge you to ask the question, am I growing spiritually? It's not a normal question that we ask ourselves. We don't every day wake up and say, you know, am I growing spiritually? And probably that wouldn't be a good question to ask yourself every day, but a question to occasionally ask yourself, am I growing spiritually? It's a healthy question to ask yourself, and yet I don't think we often do that because I think what we normally do, instead of asking ourselves, am I growing spiritually, what we normally do is we go around saying, God, you must not like me because I'm totally screwing up. And so that's the way we see our lives. And so I really want us to talk a little bit about this. This is a, a term that's used in a lot, of, mostly in the medical field. It's the word atrophy. And the definition of atrophy is the wasting away of body part or tissue, a progressive decline. Okay, it doesn't happen overnight. It happens over time. But a progressive decline that is often the result of disuse. And in a spiritual sense, the church was never meant to atrophy. We are never meant to be a group of people that are in disuse. God has called us to be active for him and to be active in the kingdom of God. In fact, the opposite is true about the church. We are meant as followers of Jesus Christ to continually be growing, to become more and more like him. The biblical word for that is is transformation. You and I are called to live transformed lives. The Greek word in the New Testament for the word transformation, the biblical word transformation, the Greek word is metamorpho, which is where we get the English word metamorphosis, which is to change from one form to another. And that's really what transformation is all about. It's that we come to Jesus, we say, Jesus, I give my life to you. And then it begins this process of transformation where I become all that he wants me to become. And my life changes in the process. And so I guess the question I want to ask you is how's that going for you? Can you see, can you discern change in your life, a change for the good? Our mission statement here at Life Church, which we wrote 17 years ago, um, mostly in faith, but really believing that this is what God wanted to do, is this, is to create an atmosphere where people can become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. That's what we set out to do when we first started Life Church 17 years ago. Chris Carey and I and a band of other people. <clears throat> and we said, we're going, to start this, we're going to start this church, and this is what we want. We want a church that has an atmosphere where people can become fully devoted followers of Christ. Another word for this word atmosphere would be an environment. So we want to have an environment around, we, have a, we want to have an atmosphere around here where people who are seeking Christ, who want to know more about Jesus, maybe they're far from God, but they're wanting to know more about Jesus, having an unencumbered presentation of what it looks like to become a follower of Jesus Christ. That's the goal. That's desire. That's like one of the key words is this idea of, a, of an atmosphere. Another key word is this word people. We're all about People and relationships here at Life Church. <clears throat> Not so much religion, structures, building, systems. We exist to help people. 
And what we want to do, what do we want people to do when we connect with people, when we meet them for the very first time, when we invite them to be a part of this church community, we invite them to be in, to be in this body that we call Life Church, what do we do? We want to see transformation. We want to see them changing for the good. We want to see them moving from one place to another, from being lost to being found, from being disconnected to being connected, from being broken to being healed. We want to see them moving out of hopelessness and into hopefulness, right, into hope. We want to see them move from living an aimless life to living a life on purpose. This is the, the direction we believe in transformation. We believe that when you come to Christ, you don't stay where you are. You continue to grow, and in your growth process, you begin to change. And so we want to see continual growth around here. In fact, growth, when we use that word growth, that's a metric for us to understand that we're doing what we need to be doing as a church. That's how we understand it. It's how we measure it. If we're growing, in the last 17 years, we've, we've grown quite a bit. <clears throat> we have. We've, it's, been a, it's been a crazy roller coaster ride, but it's, it's, been a, it's been a fun one too. We've grown quite a bit. But you need to hear me when I say this. It's not about people, just numbers of people. It's not what it's about. In fact, I'm going to step down here. Sorry, camera. <laughs> Sorry, campuses. Anyways, uh, I'm going to step down here. Right now in front of me are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. 12 empty chairs. And there's a few more scattered throughout this building. And yes, we want to see people sitting in this chair, but not because we want to be able to count that chair and say, that's a number. We want to see people sitting in this chair because we want to see life transformation because what happens is the person that sits in that chair may have a, a broken, dis, totally dis, dysfunctional life, but when they encounter Jesus Christ, their life is transformed. And so we're all about people. Yes, they, th this numbers, we want to fill this place, but not because of numbers, but because lives get changed. In fact, some of you in this room, you know what I'm talking about because that's exactly what you experienced. That when you first met Jesus Christ, something began to happen inside of you and it was started changing your life. Yeah. Right, let me get back up here so that I... Uh, Sorry, guys, over there. Anyways, <clears throat> you see, we believe that people who are growing are changing. In fact, you cannot encounter Christ into your life. Christ can't come into your life where it does not happen that way, where you do not change. But you need to understand that we live in a world that's banking on you not changing. The enemy doesn't want you to change. I mean, if you're broken and addicted, that's, he wants you to stay there, right? If there's an emotional, social problem that you have and you just can't seem to, you just can't find energy, you can't seem to survive in this life, and that's where you're at, the enemy doesn't want that to change. He wants you to stay exactly right there. But this is our conviction. When God gets a hold of you, you will change. In fact, there's some of you in this room that you need to change. And you don't need to sit there and try to figure out all the things you need to change. What you need is an encounter with Jesus Christ. 
See, it's impossible for Jesus to come into your life and you not experience transformation and change in the process. So I just want to say it. I want you to change. And I know that sounds offensive. I know there's some of you sitting here saying, wait, what? What's wrong with me? Like they would, you would ask that question. If I said, I want you to change. Well, what's wrong with me? And I, I suspect that as I've been talking about this, some of you have been like, yeah, in your mind, you're thinking about the things that need to change in your life. Like, I don't need to convince you that you need to change. Like, you already know that there are things that you need to change in your life. And if you don't, your spouse, your wife or husband sitting next to you, they know what needs to change in your life and they're thinking about it. So if you're not, they are, right? We need to change. Growing people change. So I'm going to look at a cool story found in Luke 19. I'm going to try to zip through the story as fast as I can. But in Luke 19, it starts off like this. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. So he's, on his, he's just passing through Jericho. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. So they identify this person, Zacchaeus. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, like short in stature, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. There's a lot I could say about this text, but one of the things that kind of intrigues me from the very beginning is, I don't know if you notice, if you read through the Gospels, you'll notice that wherever Jesus was, there was a crowd. There's something about Jesus, right? Like he was infectious. People wanted to be around him. People who were nothing like him. People who were so different than him wanted to be around him. Even his antagonists, you know, the, the, the Pharisees, they were following him all over the place. Like they were taking notes, like all the things that he says to try to entrap him. But they were also attracted to him. There was something about Jesus, and I think this is it. What's, what was about Jesus is that wherever he was, there was life coming out of him. And I think fundamentally every human being is longing for life, real, true, authentic life. And Jesus gives that. It moves through him. It comes, and so people wanted to be around him. And I just believe that if Jesus is in this house... People won't want to be here. They're going to want to be here. Because there's life in Jesus. So Jesus is in Jericho and there are people all over the place. And there's this guy named Zacchaeus. <clears throat> you may have heard of Zacchaeus. How many of you have heard of Zacchaeus from a little Sunday school song? Like the cruelest Sunday school song ever, <laughs> ever, ever created in history. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he, right? Like who in the world would come up with a lyric like that, you know? They obviously must have been tall or something, I don't know, but the problem is who would ever come up with that, right? So it's not something, it's just not a compliment, but the idea is that Zacchaeus is short, so the story tells you he's short, so he climbs this tree to try to see Jesus, you know. And maybe that's not the only reason why. Also, Zacchaeus was a tax collector. And as a tax collector, he was really hated by his own people. Like he had a really despicable kind of job, right? He was collecting taxes from, from his own people. In fact, his people considered him a traitor. Like he knew the ins and outs. He knew who had money, who didn't have money. And he would collect it and then give it to the occupying forces, the Roman Empire. He was a tax collector and they hated him. They, they didn't like him. And often these guys were crooked individuals, cheaters, liars, greedy. That's who they were. 
So Zacchaeus climbs this tree, and he's trying to see Jesus coming through. And then Jesus sees Zacchaeus, and listen to what Jesus says to him. He says, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. I want to stay. I must stay at your house today. This is a little bit of a code for let's have dinner. Okay? So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this. Okay, all the other people in the crowd, remember there's a crowd following. There's all kinds of people. There's even the Pharisees that are following, taking notes like, hey, these, you know, what's he saying? We want to entrap him, right? So the crowd sees this. The people saw this and began to mutter. I like that word, mutter. I think, it's a, I think we put it like that because we just, it's easy to ignore the word mutter. Like, ah, it's mutter, whatever mutter means, right? Just another word for gossip. And basically what they're saying, can you believe that? Jesus, the, this rabbi, so to speak, rabbi who thinks he's something, you know, whatever, doing miracles. He's going to go hang out with that guy, the, this traitor, Zacchaeus? I don't know about this. And they weren't saying it, but see, mutter means they're saying like this. Can you believe that? So it's kind of like gossip. It's funny how these, this happens, you know, it still happens today. See, the social structure of that time was of the first century, and, and even, even beyond that was this, this idea of like insider-outsider kind of structure. Like you were in or you were out. So if you were doing all the right things, if you were following the law, if you were being obedient, if you did everything, you were on the inside. If you, sometimes not even of your own choosing, sometimes you just happen to be born with a club foot or some defective thing and suddenly you were on the outside and those two never came together. It was this social structure. It was a system of inclusion and exclusion. And that structure still exists today, although it's a little bit more nuanced today for us. But there's still this idea of being on the inside or being on the outside. And so Jesus basically foils their ideas by saying, hey, Zacchaeus, I want to have dinner at your house today. They're like blown away. Like, what? I can't believe he's doing this. And they start gossiping about it, you know. And I mean, you have to understand that this idea of, of Jesus wanting to have dinner with Zacchaeus, it wasn't like Jesus was like, man, I'm hungry. And Hey, Zacchaeus, do you have a burger? <laughs> that's, not, that's not what he was doing. See, in this culture, what Jesus was actually stating is, Zacchaeus, I want to have a relationship with you. I want to be in relationship with you. So essentially Jesus, who's the creator of the universe, the author of life, savior, healer, grace giver, all of that, the one in whom we put our hope in, he makes a choice to intersect his life with the life of of a traitor, a cheater, a liar, a greedy person, the scum of the earth. Maybe to make a point. So Zacchaeus encounters Jesus, and I don't know, I don't know if you remember that day in your life. Do you remember the day when you first met Jesus? And if you've been a Christian for a long time and you don't remember that day, I want to challenge you to go back and relive that day. I've made it a commitment in my life to never forget the day I gave my life to Jesus Christ. It centers me. It puts me back in perspective because it's easy for me to, as you know, now 40 years later, to be like, wow, look at me, I'm pretty good, <laughs> right? But then when I remember, 
the day that Jesus said to me, hey, Rich, I want to come to your house today. I remember it was all his grace and his grace alone. <clears throat> Jesus parties a little bit with Zacchaeus at his house. And then this is how Zacchaeus responds to Jesus, his life intersecting the life of Zacchaeus. Verse 8, he says, but Zacchaeus stood up. Like, like they're at this party. Like there's food going on. There's, there's probably some wine happening and all that kind of stuff going on at this party. And Zacchaeus stands up and he makes this statement. Stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord. And these are some very important words. Here and now. Like Jesus, you have initiated a relationship with me. And here and now, not, not next month, not next year. Not when I kind of get it all figured out and I can, you know, make it all work to, for, my, for my schedule and make it all work for my relationships and all that stuff. Not when I finally get married and settle down. No. Here and now, I give half my possessions to the poor. He goes on. He says, and if I've cheated anybody, which is a little bit rhetorical, there's like, yes, you've cheated a lot of people. So if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount Jesus said to him, listen to this, today salvation has come to this house. <clears throat> there was instant, immediate growth in Zacchaeus' life because he had an encounter with Jesus. And I love this whole story because it's a beautiful example of how Jesus he doesn't come to any one of us and say, okay, I really want to have a relationship with you, Zacchaeus, or Rich, or Paul, or whoever. I really want to have a relationship with you, but can you first kind of clean up a few things in your life? Get yourself straight. Then we can have a relationship. That's not how he does it. In fact, you might be here right now, and you might feel like you're totally, totally out of relationship. In fact, you might be thinking, this is what you might be thinking is, I think God hates me. If, he, if people only knew what I did last week, if people only knew how I've lived the last 10 years of my life, if people only knew the things I've done with that guy or that girl or whatever, if they only knew this, I just don't think God likes me at all. I'm just here to tell you that Jesus, like Zacchaeus, say, hey, today I want to I wanna come to your house. <laughs> today I want to be with you. Jesus wants relationship with you, and he initiates and he's inviting himself in. <clears throat> and I love Zacchaeus' response because it's immediate growth. And this growth is actually measurable. Like you can see this growth in Zacchaeus' life by just looking at his checkbook. Seriously. Now this is not a push. I'm not, I'm not saying this just so you can start tithing or giving. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying what Zacchaeus did, his response to God resulted in something that could be measured. He moved, his mindset moved from, from uh, you know, my money for my consumption to your money for whatever you want to do with my life. <clears throat> Growing people change. Growing people change, man. And, you know, and honestly, I mean, you can, 
If you come to me and say, man, I'm growing by leaps and bounds and God is speaking to me and God is, but if, if your associations haven't changed, if your lifestyle hasn't changed, if, if everything is exactly the way it was before you came to Jesus, there's a problem with that because when, we, when our lives intersect Christ, our lives change. They do. That's why around here we do a lot of things to kind of foster change, encourage change. Like when, they, when, we, when somebody, one of our leaders here comes and says, hey, would you like to join, you know, the serve team, serving kids in the, in the back, in the, you know, ministry with the kids in the back. It's not that we think that, we, hey, you're just a number here and you're, you know, you're a cog in this big wheel so to kind of get this thing going. That's not what we're thinking. We need you to serve, yes. But what we're thinking is that once you put yourself aside and you start giving your life away to somebody else that maybe you don't even know, you start growing. You start growing spiritually because there's a, there's a, there's a uh, spiritual element to serving other people. You might hear around here, we might ask you to join a life group or, or, or start a life group, you know. And it's not that we think... It's not that we think that, you know, you have such a boring life and you need something to do in the, in the, at night. Uh, you might. And if you do, you need to join a life group. But that's not what we're thinking. What we're thinking, it's a metric by which we measure. What we're thinking is that, is that if you will join a life group and you let your life start intersecting with other people's lives and you start opening up your life to where you've been and what you've gone through and the, and the challenges in your life, as you start opening up to them, your life will change. You will begin to experience transformation in your life. And that's the reason why we do it. We take up offerings. Like I said earlier, we take up offerings around here and, you know, kingdom builders as well and all of that. And you are incredibly generous and your generosity is changing the world. But we don't do that just because we need the money. We do it because when you move, your mindset moves from my money for my consumption to God's money for his purposes, and I'm just a manager, I'm a steward of it, you will grow spiritually. You will grow spiritually. <clears throat> so I guess the practical question I'm asking here this morning is, when you look at your life, when you examine your life, can you see change? Can you see change? Has some of your bad, destructive habits changed? Has your dating life changed? Maybe before you met Christ, you were very abusive verbally or physically with a spouse. Has that changed? Spiritual growth is actually measurable. And it's measured by how our life gets transformed, how our life changes. <clears throat> you know, for me, like I said, March of 1981 is when I met Jesus for the very first time. Uh, at the time, I was working at a Church's Fried Chicken, uh, Kentucky, like a Kentucky in the South. I don't, I don't think they have them up here. But anyways, I was working at a Church's Fried Chicken, and one of my coworkers was a guy, a guy by the name of Brian Westbrook. And Brian Westbrook and I, we, uh, Brian and I, uh, you know, we met. I was an unbeliever. He was an unbeliever. We met, and we just did a lot of partying together. Partying like just us two. So you know what that means. There's a lot of smoking and some drinking involved and that stuff. You know, that was what our life was like. You know, every Thursday night, we'd get off work, and that's what we do. Every Friday night, we'd get off work, and that's what we do. 
But then I go to this church and I give my life to Christ and I'm now I'm feeling this conflict inside of me like, like I want to follow you, Jesus. I want to serve you, Jesus. I want to I grow. I want to become more like you. I feel you calling me. I've heard you say I want to be with you. I want to walk with you. I've, heard, I've experienced that. But then on Thursday nights and Friday nights, I was in this routine with Brian, you know, and I'll never forget that. It was the summer of 81. I'll never forget sitting in his bronze-colored 1972 Pinto. Anybody know what a Pinto is? Yes. The most dangerous vehicle on the highway, right? Anyways, sitting in that 1972 Pinto, listening to Fool for the City by Foghat. Remember, anybody remember that one? <laughs> okay. Not very many hands went up, so that, that I'm old. Okay, yes. Um, <clears throat> we're sitting there, and we're doing things that I'm ashamed of, and I'm feeling the shame just growing inside of me, and finally, I just, I looked to Brian. I said, Brian, just a moment of clarity. I said, Brian, I can't do this anymore. I feel like I'm living a double life. I, I I, I want to I grow in my relationship with Jesus, but now I like hanging out with you, but then we do this stuff, and I, I just feel this conflict. I cannot do this anymore. I'm stopping doing this anymore. I remember he gave me an earful. He talked about how stupid religion is and church is, and that you know, as soon as I, as soon as I get my senses straight, I'll be back to where I was, you know, and he won't accept me back as a friend, and la, 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 all that kind of stuff, you know. And it ended, he essentially ended our relationship at that point. I needed to do that because growth is measurable. And I could have tried to walk both sides of that fence and I would have just lived frustrated. And I guess the challenge for you and I this morning is, are you being transformed by God? Is God changing your life, right? Because growing people change. So I want to ask you, how's... How has your relationship with Jesus changed you? And we're going to respond to this. In Cedar Rapids, I want you to, to respond as well in this way. This, we're going to do something that's a little bit it's risky, and it might, you might feel a little bit nervous to do it. But um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you to, uh, if, if during this service you feel like, okay, I've, I've been talking about transformation and encountering Jesus and allowing your life to be changed, and as we've been going through the service, you've been listening to me and you're thinking about all these things that need a change in your life and you would say Rich I'm tracking with you I agree with you my life needs to change but I'm just going to ask you to do something very risky I'm just going to ask you to stand up right where you are and just in case you're afraid I'm standing already because I need change okay will you do that will you stand right now you say rich i'm tracking i need to, i need change in my life amen amen thank you awesome now i want to pray for us in a second here Our, we're going to sing a song of worship our prayer teams here are left and right they're here to serve you they're here to pray with you and i'm going to pray for you as well but um i'm going to ask us all to stand at this point and and let's just all make a commitment god i want to grow in you. It never stops. It never ends. You might hear a little bit more about this in weeks to come, but this summer, the Holy Spirit touched me and said, Rich, you need to change. And I've been doing this for 40 years. <laughs> so 
We're all in the journey of transformation, every one of us. And so my prayer is that God will touch you. God will speak to you. God will land heavy on you and say, okay, here I am. I surrender my life to you. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you, God, because you are here. You're speaking. You're moving. You're calling us out, Jesus. So right now, Father, we open up our hearts to you, Holy Spirit, to whatever you want to do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship together.